episode number 34 of the Rock and Roll and Coffee Show. Welcome back, everyone. Thanks for joining us. On tonight's show, we have Jason McMaster, lead singer from the band Dangerous Toys. That's probably know him from the most, but he has done plenty of other things. Yeah, he's also known, uh, he fronted the band Watchtower back in the early 80s, which is a, uh, what, what would you call that, a progressive technical metal or something like that? Yeah, probably. Yeah, tech tech metal, I guess. Yeah, it was one of the the pioneers of that genre. Yeah, they influenced uh, many many of that style of music. Yeah, um, and, he, and he can sing. <laughs> man, he's got some pipes, doesn't he? Yeah, yeah, he does. So we're going to talk to him tonight about that and uh, many of the projects that he is also involved in or has been involved in. Yeah, he's a man of many pans. Many pans. Bands, bands. Oh. <laughs> I thought you said pans. No, bands, bands. Okay. <laughs> um, if you're liking the show, make sure to follow us on Instagram at RNR Coffee Show, and also, likewise, on Facebook at RNR Coffee Show. You can also visit us on the web at rnrcoffeeshow.com. Right now, we're going to give Jason a call. Hello. Hey, Jason. What's up? What's up, my friend? Joe and Nick here with the Rock and Roll Coffee Show. What's up, Jason? What are you guys up to? Well, you know, a little bit of this, a little bit of that, talking to you. Yeah. How you doing this evening? Oh, man, I just uh, finished my last lesson, and uh, now I'm talking to you guys. Nice. What, uh, What kind of lessons are you doing? Oh, I'm teaching people how to play rock and roll. Nice. The devil's music. The devil's yeah. music. Getting them into mm-hmm. the devil music. <laughs> yeah. So so are you teaching vocals, bass? What are you teaching? Yes and yes. Okay. And I just finished a guitar lesson. So a little bit of everything? No keyboards. You don't want to hear me on the keyboards, which <laughs> is sad but true by way of I worship Elton John. <laughs> and I'm just terrible on the keys. Have you ever really gave it a shot or no? I, I, you know, I can walk up to it and play a couple of chords, but I don't really know my way around it. Yeah. Uh, my ear is pretty good, so I can get through some things, but um, I don't play, right? I just don't play the keys. I got you. Nick can play a Halloween theme song right now. <laughs> yeah, it's the only song I could play on the keyboard. <laughs> Well, you know, but at least you got got your priorities straight. <laughs> you're you're a good party trick once a year. Yeah, yeah. What do you? So, so am I. <laughs> so am I. What are you out in? Um, you out in Texas? I am. I'm. Uh, I'm outside of Austin. I'm uh, south of Austin in a little town called Lockhart. Lockhart. Okay. And uh, it is the. It is the. They call it the Texas barbecue capital. Is it some good barbecue? I guess. It's pretty mouthwatering. I don't eat a whole lot of barbecue, but you know they're not kidding around with their barbecue here. Texas doesn't kid around with their barbecue. Yeah, where I'm from, they do a chicken bog. You ever hear that? Chicken barbecue? No, chicken chicken bog. What the heck? What the heck is that? Well. It's basically chicken and rice. 
Oh, yeah, I can do the chicken and rice. It's good stuff, actually. I'm over in South Carolina now, so that's where I'm at. Okay. But, yeah, it's popular. I didn't know what it was until I moved here. But, yeah. Chicken and rice, huh? Well, where where you uh, where you said you're you're not from South Carolina? No, I I grew up in Florida. Uh, actually, Nick and I went to high school together down in Florida. We're old now, though. But uh, real old. Well, aren't we all? <laughs> yeah, just it happens <laughs> from, for some I mean, reason. I mean, from Florida, I'm not old. I don't know what the fuck. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I uh, I'm not from Florida. I, I'm born and raised in Texas, and I'm old as shit. So. Yeah, yeah. No, yeah, we grew up together in Florida, then I went out to California for five years, and then I ended up in South Carolina. But, oh, that's a, that's confusing. Yeah, a little bit. I like to zigzag. Hey, you know did what? You go, did, you go, did you go out there to make it? No, no, no. <laughs> I went, so, I, many, so many teenagers, you know, they, they, they you know, steal mom's credit card and load up their amp and their shit. And, and they steal their dad's car and then go to L.A. so they can bake it. Yeah. Know? Well, you know, I had that thought when I was young, but never made it that way. Oh, right, right, right. Well, well, I think that the ones that go out there and do and do make it, I think that it's it leads to a really great behind the music. <laughs> yeah. You know, television show or documentary or rock doc, you know. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And I think that it's really great the ones that can go out there and just, you know, get it going and then be seen and and heard by the right folks to that you know someone that's got money that thinks their songs are good, you know. Yeah. Well, you know, you know, Nick and I thought our songs were good back in the day, but uh, they weren't really <laughs> well, too you good. Well, you're you're supposed to write them for yourself first anyway, and not exactly. anybody else. The cool thing is 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 that story that we just, you know, that, that sort of cliche that we just kind of murdered right there. <laughs> uh, it's, I think it, that it, I think that it's great that that has happened and brought us so much, brought the world a lot of really cool shit, you know, when you kind of break it all down, it's kind of the, the fairy tale for a, a young person, you know, most definitely. Um, yeah. Yeah, but hey, you know, I sent you that email the other day. I did not realize that you knew Kelly and Jason. Uh, you know, Kelly, I, I've I've only been in the room with that dude one time, and it was in the late nineties, or yeah, like ninety eight, maybe. And him and Jason's band. Uh, neurotica or whatever. I have a CD. I pulled it out the other day after I saw your email. Yeah. And I didn't listen to it, but I was like, fucking hey, there it is. And, uh, <laughs> and I see, I knew that I knew of atheist because of my, of watchtower, you know, and, and in the old tape trading days in the, in the mid eighties, early to mid eighties and all that Floridian death metal shit was happening and all the, all the progressive shit that was sort of like, you know, the death metal was fanning all of that stuff. So that stuff was happening. Just, just total technical, crazy, violent metal. Yeah. But, but on the progressive side, you know, we were doing that in Texas with Watchtower and the fanzine thing and the tape trading thing was like, you know, a raging inferno. 
And so I know he knew of me and I knew of him. And the first time we ever met and it's like face to face, uh, was in the late nineties and my band Godzilla motor company opened for neurotica. Right. Yeah. He was telling me about that. Cause I, when I realized you guys, you know, I saw you were friends on Facebook and I texted him. I said, Hey, you know, Jason McMaster. And he texted me back. He's like, yeah. Um, neurotica played with them. Just what you said. Yeah. And then, uh, he had went on and mentioned how how big of a influence you were to all of them. Well, that's he's just being way too kind. <laughs> uh, I'm I'm that's so he's so nice, you know. And I honestly, Joe's that don't really know him because that's it. Yeah, We've been in the room together one time, and I, you know, if you walked up to me in a crowd, it would take me a second to go wait. Oh, 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 you know, it right. would take me a second. Right. Um, and then, uh, Jason, I think is from Chicago and he wasn't even in Texas. He was living with those guys in Florida. Yeah. I remember uh, when Jason he moved West. down there. Yeah. And then he joined Pitbull daycare out mm-hmm. of San Antonio and uh was their drummer for years and i had met him off and on and and put the we put the neurotica thing together and then we ended up being in a band together evil united right yeah small world yeah it is a very very small world and you know a lot of people end up in texas and the and the and the, the cool thing is is if you're in a metal band you've probably played texas right Right. You know, if you're if you're a pop star, you know, you and you or you're a budding pop star, Texas is a maybe. But if you play hard rock and roll or metal, you've been to fucking Texas. Right. Yeah. <clears throat> you can go on tour here for a week. Well, it's as big as a whole country. Yeah. Well, just like Florida, you can go on you can play five or six dates in Florida and, and they're at least 200 miles apart yeah yeah because it's long like california right so yeah no i saw you guys at uh in florida at uh what was it livestock 98 rock put on this uh, oh, oh 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 was that with the scream with john karabi possibly i don't remember all the bands that were there but there was a bunch was of a bands a lot there. of bands and it was outdoor right yeah. festival yep. type thing mm-hmm. yeah yeah and, uh, yeah, we were on tour with the scream and John Karabi was the singer for the scream. The scream was made up of dudes from that band racer X that was right. Paul Gilbert, uh-huh. all those yeah. bad motherfuckers. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, uh, and, um, John Karabi on vocals who had moved to LA from, uh, Philly and was making his way around LA, you know, and, uh, they were on tour with us. They had the, the scream had the same management as the toys. Okay. So we all went on the road together and it was, God, it was such a good time. And you know, that was, dude, that was 92. Yeah. That was 92. Yeah. That sounds about right. Yeah. And, uh, we had recently, or no, I think we were about to be let go from Columbia. 
And, you know, that's not a bad thing or a good thing. Right. It was just, you know, rock and roll was changing. The climate was changing. And we started writing and writing and writing and writing. And we were just writing our balls off. And we probably wrote like, I don't know, 85 songs or something. And we were sending these uh, eight-track cassette demos, you know, to because that was a long time ago, to <laughs> the label. And uh, they were just like, oh, no, keep writing. Just keep on writing. And they'd say that every month. You know, every month we'd probably send them about seven songs. And that went on and on and on. It seemed like forever. And eventually we just told management, it's like, can you like, call them and just ask them if they can fuck off? <laughs> if we can just like not send them any more songs? Because we're writing the best rock and roll we think we can write. So we just want to go somewhere that'll put, put out a record with us and believe in it. Right. right. Because a lot of the labels in, you know, you think 92 and 93, it's like, hold, hold the phone. What are we doing with our money here? Because, you know, uh, Warrant's not selling anymore. You know, Alice in Chains is doing good. Let's take this Warrant poster down and hang this Alice in Chains poster up here in the office. You know? Right. And that's great. That's fine. But, you know, you, you gotta, you gotta work with what you got and not what you hoped for. Right. Right. So that's, Sorry to go, you know, fortune cookie on you. No, no, we're going to get in all that, but um, let's no. start with um. Now, you're in Texas. Were you born in Texas? Corpus Christi, 1965. So you've been there your whole life. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I moved to I moved to Austin about eighty, and uh, I owe that to my mom. She knew that, you know, the art and the music and everything was in the water uh, up here. And there's a lot of cool, uh, you know, folk music and Tejano and country. And um, there's some rock and roll stuff from down there in the Gulf Coast. Uh, but, um, you know, Bill Haley, Rock Around the Clock, yeah. Bill Haley and mm -hmm. the Comets, he's from down there. Not Corpus, you know, not Corpus Christi exactly, but one of those like Bay Towns down there. He's from down there. Okay. Uh, it's kind of cool. It's kind of a, an interesting thing. Um, Jim from, uh, Reverend Horton Heat, he's uh -huh. from Corpus Christi. Yeah. All right. So there's he, a few. He moved up, he moved up to Dallas and got it, got it going on in Dallas, but he's from down where I'm from. Mm -hmm. Um, but anyway, um, yeah, moved here in 80. My mom knew that knew what was up. She was like, you, you're going to have to, you know, you're going to have to come up here. There's. You know, you and your brother, I, I need you up here. You're going to, you'll see what's going on. And I did. It took me a second because I was a young headbanger at, you know, the age of 16 or whatever it was. And I wanted to play hard rock and metal and shit. And I was a bass player. I hadn't even started singing yet. I was just going to ask that if you were singing or bass. No, I was pretty terrible on bass, uh, but I could get through, you know, a couple hours of material and smile the whole time and be like, man, I'm, I'm playing rock and roll. I'm happy. Right. Didn't matter if I was good or bad. I just wanted to find people that wanted to play rock and roll. And, uh, I found them quickly. And then we had a band called fallen angel, me and some buddies around here. And 
we uh, we just ba- mainly covers nothing really to speak of other than that. You know, Rush, Priest, ACDC, whatever, Motorhead. Motorhead was practically new. Mm-hmm. 81, you know, yeah. the Ace of Spades had just come out. So we're doing that kind of a thing and, uh, you know, telling our friends, hey, we kind of need a singer. You know, oh, man, I'm a singer. They come over and they're terrible. You know, that happened for, you know, every week for a month. And he's like, man, this, I'm looking at the drummer going, man, you know, behind the guy's back, the guy's trying to sing. And and we're, I'm looking at my drummer, giving stink eye going, we, we're not singers and we're better than this guy. Isn't that the worst? So why don't we? Why don't we just do it? You know, so we just did it, and that lasted about six months. And uh, guitar players for that little that little garage band, we did some gigs, you know, keggers and wherever they would let us play. And um, still too young to play a bar or a real venue, so we just did. You know, found what we could and did it, like everyone, right? Like yeah. you, whatever. Yeah. And then um, guitar players, you know, were wanting to chill or do something new or whatever. And uh, me and the drummer started just kind of looking around. I started actively looking for a guitar player. I was at a music store, a guitar shop, and I saw a little hand-drawn business card-looking thing with like a, a, you know, black and white uh like a dragon face with a, you know, a clock tower or something. And it said watchtower on it and had their phone number on there. And it said available heavy metal band available for gigs or whatever. And the fucking phone numbers were on that. And I call, you know, they, that's, you're stupid. If you put your fucking phone number on something like that nowadays, right. crank calls and shit. Anyway. <laughs> so, I called that number and I had heard of, I had heard of these, these guys just by just you know, underground kind of, um, not to be long winded, but someone had told me that the guitar player, Billy White in, in this band watchtower was like the best heavy metal guitar player for miles around. And I was like, wow, that's trip. And I had still hadn't met him yet mm-hmm. and I wasn't putting it together yet. I was at a Saxon concert in uh, March of 82 and Billy White was standing, you know, a hundred feet away. And the dude that I had just met goes, see that guy with the hair down to his ass. It looks like a, uh, you know, he's 15 years old. Cause he is, he's 15 <laughs> years old. He can play eruption. He, any Randy solo, any Ingve solo, any solo, any, he can play it. And I'm like, Whoa, that's rad. So here I am a couple of months later, uh, May, it's May of 82, and I'm calling this phone number on this card looking for a guitar player. I, I get Billy on the phone, I'm like, you don't know me, and I'm not trying to headhunt you, but I'm calling to see if you know any guitar players who want to play, you know, be in a band, you know, looking for me. And he's like, dude, I've heard of you. And I'm like, what? He goes, yeah, I've heard of you. There's people talking about you. Uh, in my circles and I'm like what and he's like yeah you need to come over so I went over there and I brought my bass and I brought a little amp and and I go in the house and we're getting along and he just picks up his guitar and starts fucking shredding 
And I, I just put my bass back in the case. I was like, okay, yeah. I'm <laughs> going home now. <laughs> I'm going home. I'm burning. See you later. Done. This is stupid. And I'm just, my my jaw was on the floor. And we just, we hung out all night. And I met uh, Doug, from the bass player from Watchtower. And a, a week later, they wanted me to be their singer. Um, but before that, uh, you know, it was like the next day they invited me over to hear them rehearse and they had a singer and the singer didn't show up. And so I'm there for an hour and they're, you know, the guy's gear is there, mic there, PA, everything. And I'm looking at a set list and I'm going, dude, I do, I do three fourths of this set in my band right now. And he's like, well, you want to sing one? Cause dickhead ain't showing up. And I'm like, sure. The first song I ever sang with Watchtower was ironically motorcycle man by Saxon. Okay. Which is Hesher and shit, but so rad. I had a great time. Anyway, I never, I, I, I was, I was, I never left. I was in that band till I basically had to, had to leave kicking and screaming because the toys got signed. So, so is that, that's why you left Watchtower was, to go with toys? Well, it's not the re- you know, Well, Dangerous Toys would be a good reason to. It's like, hey, kid, I saw your ba- I saw your band play, and you guys are awesome, and uh, you know Guns and Roses is fucking killing it right now, and you have long red hair and tattoos. Why don't you? Why don't let's let's? I want to put you on MTV and on the road and in the studio with Max Norman. Let's go. You ready? Like, uh. Sure. I'm not even in this band. I'm in this band called Watchtower. I'm just filling in until these guys find a singer. So is and that? They're like, I, I don't, I don't think so. You're gonna here. You need some more zeros on this check. You know? <laughs> Couple more. Kind of a stupid. It's a stupid way to say it, but it's kind of, kind of how it went. Yeah, yeah. So you were in Watchtower and just filling in with Dangerous Toys. Yeah, yeah. They they had a the toys were called Onyx like right. Blackstone uh-huh. and they had a girl singer who called herself Onyx and okay. uh, they were good. They were like a circuit tribute cover, not a tribute, but a cover band. And they were doing, they were following all the trends, you know, they were like the dudes look like poison or white lion. And the girl was dressed all in black, called herself Onyx, you know, it was a little bit of a gimmick, but they had some originals and they did covers. I had, I'd seen them around Austin a couple of times and, couple of the guys that actually come to see, see Watchtower and, and uh, two completely different scenes because they were playing in bars, you know? Right. And we were, you know, we were drawing like 700 punks in a, in the, in the, in a theater downtown on sixth street. Mm-hmm. And we were opening for all of the, you know, 85, 86, 87, we were opening for, Trouble and Exciter and King Diamond and and uh, Anthrax right and Hellstar would come down from Houston and play with us and San Antonio Slayer would come down and play with us and we'd go to Houston and do the same thing Nasty Savage from Brandon Florida would yeah. come to Texas and do gigs with us and Metal Church and just keep on going right so that was the that was the thing and that's where I really cut my teeth. That's where the whole, that's where I was happy. That's where I was, it was real. And I started sort of moonlighting with the toys and a couple of other bands that were, that 
aren't worth mentioning really. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, just doing covers and having fun, doing something different. Cause I was doing this weird Texas thrash, weird prog, prog metal, you know? Right. So it was fun to do rock, you know, a little bit here and there. And next thing you know, someone sees you, uh Oh, you know, <laughs> offers you a deal. It's like, I go to tell the watchtower guys, I'm like, uh Oh, <laughs> they're like, what? what are you talking about? Yeah, dude, check this out. So were you writing These dudes want to sign us? Were you writing originals with dangerous toys also? We had a few. And um you know, they they had songs they had written with uh, their former singer and um they said, What do you think about, you know, doing this and watch how I didn't write lyrics, you know, it was Oh, no? Billy and Doug wrote, no, Billy and Doug wrote everything. And I wrote the melodies, you know, they, mm. they had suggested places for song parts where they would want me to come in or start and stop and all that. But because, you know, it's all the instruments flying down the stairs at a million miles an hour. Yeah. In time. You know, <laughs> and, and I have to sing over that. Right. So they're telling me when to start because they're, Time signatures are like seven thirteen, you know. <laughs> hut, hut, you know, ready go, Jason. And they're yeah. handing me a sheet of lyrics, and I'm. They want me to sound like a pissed off Daddy Lee over this kitchen sink of notes and riffs, and you know, stop, start, bang, right. And so we figured it out, and we had this underground following, and you know fanzines writing about us and you know people talking and the underground the underground was a super force to be reckoned with and uh it was an amazing thing and you know to be able to say that i got to meet and and rub elbows with the dudes in the big four you know the megadeth anthrax metallica you know, it goes on. Testament, Exodus, you know, just everybody, the big eight, whatever you want to call it. Yeah. Is amazing. Yeah. But, uh, you know, door doors open when you become popular, even in the underground and, and start, you know, uh, uh, you know, a lot of people sort of followed me over to what the toys were doing. And a lot of people did not because they just didn't. Well, it was two different things. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And they knew that if they knew me, they knew that I was metal for life. But, you know, could sing rock and roll just like I could sing crazy shit, you know, so. Yeah. And I got to say, I I wasn't aware of your your different singing styles until recently because I, I knew you from Dangerous Toys. Yeah, that's fair. I mean, they they threw a lot of money at it, and it sold a lot of records. And so, yeah, people kind of learned about my tenor uh, start they backwards. Right. Yeah. Right. So, so Dangerous Toys got noticed quickly, or very quickly. The band was we were literally. It's like I had, you know, by the time someone was knocking on our door. Uh, I was only in the band and we had recently changed the name to, from Onyx to Dangerous Toys. Cause I, you know, so when I joined is like, that's when it was called, that band was called Dangerous Toys. Uh-huh. 
And it okay. was a working name. It wasn't even a name we were planning on keeping. It was like no. the the local bar wanted to book us because Onyx was like the house band. And they wanted to, hey, dude, we got to get you back, guys back in here. I know you lost your singer, but what the fuck's going on? Fill me in. Oh, we got the guy from Watchtower. What? Oh, my God. You guys got to get, I'll book you this weekend. What the fuck's going on? You know. Right. And so, okay, uh, what are we going to call this shit? You know, so we, called, we gave it a name and it stuck. And, dude, six months later, someone's going, hey, y'all want a record deal? It's like, what? Six months. Yeah, it's overnight sensation. See that, Nick? Yeah. yeah, that's crazy. <laughs> didn't have to go to L.A., didn't have to go anywhere, didn't have to lick a stamp, didn't have to fucking crazy. They, they came well, to that's, you. that's the way to do it. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. That's what I say. Amen to that. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't have to sleep in cat piss. I didn't have to sleep in my car. I didn't all those stories about taking a Greyhound to L.A. and those bullshit. Yeah. So... Anyway, did you guys go out to LA to, well, we recorded and made videos and our management was out there. There's a couple of little things I can throw in here that, mm-hmm. that can, I can put them in a nutshell is, uh, you know, friend of ours did lick a stamp. There was a cassette tape that was sent out on one side. It had a live, radio broadcast of like, I don't know, seven or eight dangerous toy songs. And they weren't very good, but I'm telling you, tease and please and an outlaw were on there. Okay. Scared was not written yet. Tin boots, not queen of the not. None of that was on there yet. Cause it wasn't quite real. It wasn't written yet mm-hmm. too soon. So we had a few and the few that we had on there were, you know, full of the good ones were on there. And it was a live performance recorded off the radio cassette deck, right? And then on the other side was a dubbed demo from April of 87. It would have been the latest Watchtower demo. And it was two, you know, 16-track studio recordings as well as two, like, four-track cassette, you know, Tascam demos, right? Yeah. So it was four brand new Watchtower songs. Well, you know, a couple of them were written, three maybe, two of them were written with the original band with Billy White, and then we had replaced the guitar player, Ron Jarzombek. Uh, It was in the band from January uh, until the end of time, but January of uh, 87 is when he joined. The last two shows Billy White did with Watchtower were in San Francisco in October of 86, and we knew those were his last two dates. So anyway, a cassette of a, the latest Tower demo and the latest Toys demo, or, or the, 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 the live performance, we hadn't even been in the studio yet, and we got a record deal. So anyway, <laughs> I don't know, stupid. So, <laughs> so this cassette finds its way to an intern at a management company in Ventura in, 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 in Encino in California. And I don't know, it had been sent like it had been sitting on this manager guy ended up being our manager, Mr. Tim Heine. Tim Heine's desk has a stack. You can just, I'll give you a cartoon version. Got this big, manager guy and he's got stacks of demos next to his like three telephones or whatever right? right and every day after work he you know 
grab a few cassettes off the top of that massive stack and he'd go out to his Corvette that had a mobile phone in it that was like a brick phone from, you know, Vietnam or something. I remember those. Yeah. And so he's in his, and he's driving down Ventura Freeway out to Encino where he lived and he, and he's listening to cassette, pop a cassette and let's see what this crap is, you know, fuckers probably sucks, you know, because all of it probably sucked. I'm sure he got a lot of bad stuff. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. And he's, you know, he'd roll down the window and literally throw it out the window. Oh, geez. If if he didn't like, he'd literally just chuck it out the window. So he gets to ours, and he doesn't hear the watchtower shit. He hears the the dangerous toy shit. And it's live. And he's like, what the fuck? These guys got balls into me a fucking (laughs) live performance. I mean, who are these guys playing live on the radio, you know? So he hears the DJ say, you know, and cheese and pleasing comes on. He's like, what the, pulls over, calls his intern. What the fuck? Who, what, get these guys on the phone. And the rest is kind of history. Wow. That's amazing to hear some of these stories, how fast everything just came together. So, so I don't know what month that was, but the second annual South by Southwest, Music conference. You guys have surely heard of that, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. So the second one ever was in March of 88. First one's in 87. No, no, 87. No, because I start playing with them and, and, and I start playing with the toys in October of 87. So it would have been the March of 88. All right. Okay. We're at, we're South by Southwest. It, you know, it just only used to be music. Now it's all interactive and it's a fucking trade show now. Yeah. It's all, it's digital. It's everything. It's everything. It's Facebook has a, uh, a you know, they were in a building and they have parties and bands play and Xbox buys a stage and Metallica play, you know, it's yeah. stupid. It's a trade show. It's like, Big corporate. Well, it's it's not about the little guy anymore. And back in the old days, it was all about you and me up there really gunning it and trying to get a record deal or a publishing deal or management or something. Trying to you know we're 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 busting ass, right? And so we're we get the same guy that booked you know our the first gig. What are you guys gonna call yourself, man? I gotta get you back in. That same guy, months later called us again and said, man, there's this festival, South by Southwest. We want you guys to play on a Sunday night at like 6 p.m. We're like, fuck you. We just played Friday night, sold it out. Fuck you. Why are you going to play? Uh, oh, man, just do a favor for me, man. You 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 won't regret it. You won't Just do it. And so we did it, and we're like, South by what? What the fuck is that? Right. We didn't even know what it was. Yeah, it was at that time. New. It was still new. And it was only like a weekender. It's only, it was only like a music festival that lasted in a few bars, for three days we're on a sunday night there's like 15 people in there and we play our set we played covers i think we played rock and roll crazy not by loudness <laughs> and we played, you know a couple whatever and we played some originals and this lady from a publishing company comes up and says hi i'm celine armbeck from los angeles uh uh spk song and I want to talk to you guys about a publishing deal. 
you guys are awesome and we can talk. You got a place we can talk. Da 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 da. I was like, you know, I was a dick. You know what I did? I said, I'm in this thrash band called Watchtower, but you can go talk to those guys. They're right there. There's not a backstage. They're standing right there. <laughs> I'm trying to catch my breath. I just got off, got off stage. You know. Right. And. uh so you were, you were directing her to your other band. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And those guys called me the next day, and they're like, man, you know that lady? She was legit. So here you go. Here's the points I wanted to put together, a thousand points of light. Here's two points of light. SBK, the little lady South by Southwest, had never heard of Tapco Entertainment out in Ventura, you know, out in L.A. They both from L.A. didn't know each other. So we hooked this manager guy who wanted to manage us up with with the the lady from SBK, and they had lunch that week. And a month later, we were showcasing for seven major labels over a period of weekends, one after the other, subsequent, yeah. just boom, 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 and all of those those moguls, those dudes were flying to Austin watching us play in our where we were the big fish and the big in the little pond. Mm. They were seeing us in our backyard with our fans rabid off the hook. They were seeing that. They so you guys had to look our, like superstars. Yeah, yeah. And we well I mean we were just in little old Austin, Texas, which was a hotbed. Stevie Ray Vaughn was hot. Everyone was hot. Fabulous Thunderbirds ain't that tough and real. You know that's yeah, yeah. big mm-hmm. yeah. going on. Yeah. So so you had seven of them come out there. How many were interested? Um, all of them, and we didn't really choose. It's like between uh, SBK and uh, which was a publishing company and management. And here's the cool thing about the management: it's like. Even at the time, we didn't realize they were managing Y and T, uh, and Keel, and you know some pretty hot shot California bands that you know that we had seen play just a lot. They were on tour, come through Austin, and we'd seen them play. But you weren't aware of this. No, it wasn't like well, I don't know who do yeah. you manage because you know we want a big man. We, Dude, we weren't looking to get signed. We weren't looking for management. I was going to say, I mean? it, it we sounds... Weren't, we weren't even looking to do that. Yeah, it sounds... The whole story just sounds like, I mean, it just kind of fell in your lap. Fucking accident, bro. Wow. That's a great story. It'll be in my book. You writing a book? Man, somebody planted that seed and I just can't... I can't... I don't know, man. It's a bunch of hundred pages and fucking name dropping is what I call it. <laughs> I should write a book. You should. should. I think really everyone should do a memoir at least so you, before you get senile. <laughs> so too late for Joe. <laughs> What's that, Nick? Too late for me? Too late for you? Yeah, kind of. Shit, you and me both, bro. <laughs> anyway, so um, so that just happened, right? So we would they they choose and it's Columbia and we go with Columbia and they wine and dine us and then they go, Well, we got a short list of producers and make the record 
and Max Norman was on there. There was a couple of other people, maybe Tom Worman, you know, Motley Crue Kicks, mm-hmm. you know, uh, but Max had done, um, oh, I don't know, Crazy Train. <laughs> Just a little song? <laughs> yeah, it's a little song. You know, Never heard of it. Yeah. Look it up, Nick. <laughs> yeah. Pay attention. <laughs> so we ended up with him, and it was fucking great. So you go in there and record the album. Yeah. Yeah. Boys, kids from the country, never been anywhere, go out there. It's like, wow, what a trip. So the first single was Tease and Please off that, right? Yeah. And that blew up right away, didn't it? Yeah. Yeah. And that was summer of 89. So you think about this from where my story kind of started with you guys tonight with like, basically I'm in Austin in 80. I'm in Watchtower by 82. By 87, I'm in the toys and by 88, I'm signed. Right. And you think about, well, that's not even a decade. If I'm 16 or 17, when I get there, I'm 21, 22. By the time I kind of, it's fucking, it's, it's a whirlwind. So being so young, I mean, do you, looking yeah, back I got, at... I got to interrupt you. I got something to say. You know what it is? You know what I'm going to say? My mom was right. Your mom was right? Mom, mom was fucking right, bro. So she was pretty supportive then for your music career. Yeah, and my dad was supportive too, but, you know, he was worried about education and so was she. Yeah, He was worried about education and, uh, you know, I, I dropped out and they were pissed and... When I called to tell him I was going to go make records and, you know, that I had money and, uh, you know, that, you know, that kind of shit. And then a few years later, the record goes gold and sort of like, what? You know, so I guess they got over that. I said, fuck college, you know. <laughs> well, it but seemed to work out for you. A little bit. And I still, you know, it, you know, but when, but when the tough times came, I had to work, you know, and. But, yeah. you know, my I didn't have degree. I had pedigree, so I could find work, you know. Yeah, yeah. So, so um, you re- yeah, so, so I'm out there teasing and then scared, and and uh, the videos did real well, and MTV was, we were an MTV darling. And um, I've done some stuff recently with uh, David Ellison, who I met in the early 80s when Megadeth was a new band. Right. One record out, you know, and he remembers me being a little punter back then. And, and, uh, just a few years later on him, on him, I'm on MTV and he's going, that's that kid from Texas, you know, <laughs> and he writes about it in his book, more life with death. And, um, that's just cool. You know, yeah. that, that everyone's old enough now to go to just sit back and whittle and on the front porch and just whittle and talk about it. Yeah, yeah. Now there's a lot of great stories. A lot of uh, yeah, man. It's so it's incestuous and it's beautiful. So because it's just rock and roll, you know. Yeah. Now you released two singles off that album, correct? Or was there three? First album only had two. What? Why was uh, it only we, two? With an with an an extensive tour. Well, I feel like we were pulled off the road because they 
felt like the window of opportunity was closing Pulled for off. us to go for us to go make a new record. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm with you because I sense that you're going. Why too, dude? You guys could have done Queen of the Nile and even Sporting a Woody or that, that's what I was exactly like, going to say. Queen like of the a Nile. Hammer. I mean, it was like you could have gone like five deep and stayed on the road and milked the shit out of that. And I agree with you mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. even if we would have just milked the shit out of the first record and maybe even been too late to make a second record that would would have meant anything by 92 or 93 it all would have been we would have been done right right even though we would have been able to really smear that first record all over everybody's face and and do really well with it uh i believe that um they wanted us to make a record so by by 90 summer 90 we're trying to scrape up enough to make a record and we made that one with uh roy thomas baker queen cars journey hellacious acres bad 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 company yeah roy thomas baker Mm -hmm. the guy that plays roy in the in the queen movie is not at all like roy i haven't seen i still haven't seen that it's fun is it fun? Did you see yeah, the dirt? Yeah. What's yeah, I didn't really learn anything in the Queen movie, but I learned a lot. Well, all those stories in the dirt, I mean, have been so publicized, you know. It was kind of what I was expecting well, to see. Well, I knew they were all, it was just kind of a dick fest. Yeah. Let's it's do blow and fuck chicks and right. buy, a strip, buy a strip bar. And Were you guys, uh, were the toys partiers? Um, you know, things were happening so fast. It was not really any, you know, any of that, but we, you know, we didn't really, we didn't get in trouble. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, yes to your question, but we didn't get in trouble. It was, you know, we were, we weren't from Hollywood. There wasn't really, our scene was a little, you know, we were the Hollywood boys of our scene probably, but whatever that means is whatever that means, I guess. Mm-hmm. And just like you guys probably were, we're in your neighborhood. You know, yeah. We didn't shit. get in trouble. Yeah. Right, I Nick? didn't get in trouble. I didn't really nah. get in trouble. Nah, that's so, the key right there. Don't get in trouble. That's right. That's right. Do, do whatever you want uh, to a point. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, when we were recording the record, we, we lived it up. You know, we worked hard on the record, and I think that shows, um, because we were still green, dude. We didn't know shit, you know? Mm-hmm. I had I had made the first Watchtower record in, you know, 84 and 85. It came out in late 85. So I had that this experience, which ain't much. I'd been in the studio twice. You know? Right. And those guys had made some demos with Onyx. So they had a little bit, but they were probably in there for four hours, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, but the point is we go out, we're green, we're learning, we're learning from Max Norman, which is fucking golden. You know, I wish I would have just wrote everything down that the dude said. And uh, we learned about songwriting. We used to, you know, like, here you go. 
season pleasing. You know the breakdown? Slow down, rip, yeah. same rip, mm-hmm. as the, as that, right? You know how I'm singing some, you know, yabba-dabba-doo stuff in there, <laughs> blue yeah. shit right there? That wasn't in there. Just added that in there. No one knows that. That wasn't in there. That vo- that vocal line in there wasn't in there. It was empty. Yeah. We thought it was cool and let everyone do a little bendy solo, little bass harmonic, little drop, you know, little the breaks in there. And Max was like, you're singing something on that tomorrow. That's a giant gaping hole that is boring as fuck. And we were looking at each other like, you asshole, that's, we love that part. And like, fuck y'all, you're singing something on that tomorrow. You better have some lyrics. I'm like, on the way to the studio the next day, and they're going, got some lyrics? I'm like, holy shit. I'm no in pressure. the back seat of the car, writing on a napkin I found on the floor of the car. I'm writing, so I'm just going, what am Oh man, I'm just making shit up, and they ended up on the record. <laughs> was there a lot of that? Did they have you guys change stuff or add stuff? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, the breakdown in Ten Boots, like that song was barely written. It was brand new when we hit the ground in L.A. And Ten Boots, the 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 I call it the mosh part, the halftime. With the boom, you know that thing with the levee breaks with the half the half note riff. That thing wasn't even in there. Wow! And it's like arguably the coolest part of the song. Yeah, yeah. And I wasn't singing over that either. So. That's that's the the gold nuggets that Max was throwing up in there. He didn't, you know, he didn't take any credit or anything. He's like, "Hey, this song is unfinished." Yeah, you guys got to do something else there. Oh, and like you know, you know, there'd be a riff going on, and then a vocal, and then there's a vocal and a hold, and he's going. Here's Max listening to it. Hole, hole, hole. Right. And we're looking at him like, this guy's a dick, you know, just knowing that he's trying to help. Right. 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 But and you don't so, want to you know, hear that. He's like, he's like, Scott noodle here. Okay. Yeah. Noodle here. Yep. Noodle here. Okay. Vocal. Oh, noodle. Okay. Vocal. Oh, noodle. So it make, makes total sense now. Right. Yeah. To put these wind ups in between. It's like, it's, Man, it just makes you think about Jimmy Page and the way him and Robert wrote and you know, the way the drums and the bass talk to each other. You know, it's learned a shit ton. Yeah, yeah. So you, so after that album, you, what was your major tour on that album? Who'd you go out with? We started, y'all remember Z-Rock? A band called Z-Rock? Z-Rock. No, know. not a band. Oh, <laughs> uh, it know. was a, it was basically a syndicated, which was fairly new in the eighties, syndicated uh, radio station, like a satellite station, without there it being digital, right? But it was like it was out of Dallas, and it was nationwide. Z Rock, you guys don't uh, know. Now, they I had don't... it in Florida. They had it all over, man. Do you remember? Nick? We did a, 
Yeah, I think there was a Z Rock around here somewhere. Yeah. yeah. Syndicated where they would they would basically antenna, you know, microwave <laughs> this station out of Dallas via satellite over your airwaves. Anyway, we did a tour sponsored by that for about the first three weeks of our very first tour, like a sponsor, and they broke the record. They broke it. Nice. They they uh, they played the shit out of it. You know, it was like a payola deal. It was probably a deal made on a golf course. Hey, man, right. I'll give you this much money if you play tease and pleasing every five minutes. You know? So it so it was written. Let it be done. You know, it was done. Right. Whatever Moses said. So it happened, and uh, the record broke. We that would have been like June or something of '89. The record came out May 9th in the states. It didn't come out till like Christmas or something in Europe of '89. And I'm I summer sometime June or July the tease and pleasing video finally debuted. And so yeah, that summer '89 was a motherfucker. Anyway, so uh, by August we're in New York and we're doing like a week of press, riding around New York City in limos, living it up. Oh, dude, looking out the window of a limo, and you know the publicist is riding with us, going, "Here's the da da da," and we're like, "Oh." Shit, this is crazy. That was your first time and, there? Yeah. Okay. Never been anywhere, dude. So yeah. yeah. And we were we had played we had we got there and played some shows and then we they put us up in, in uh, pretty nice gigs and uh I remember having the concierge do our laundry, like fold your laundry and you have it pro done. And that was like uh, we thought we were like rich or something. Right. So having our laundry done at the hotel and we were going out a little bit, but we had played at, uh, the old studio 54, which is called the Ritz with which guns and roses kind of made famous because that MTV concert, that live guns and roses concert that was on MTV that summer of 89. Yeah. I still have that on, I have that on VHS. That's it. That's the old studio 54. That's the Ritz in New York. And we played there with Warrant and Extreme, I think. And we were the opening band on that bill. And it was sold out. And it was fucking godly. Hmm. So rad. And we were hot. We were we loved it because, you know, we, we loved that GNR show. You know, yeah. Fucking because it was like seeing the Sex Pistols or something, you know. Like, right. oh, that's oh, it's so rad, you know. Just killing it. So we had that fire, you know, and we were we had a, we had tons of fire back then. We were I think that's what made us a little bit different than I don't know, a lynch mob or a warrant or an extreme. We were a little bit more piss and vinegar than that. Yeah, you were a little more edgier than that stuff. Yeah. I put you guys more in a, uh, maybe with the skid rows and, uh, that kind of. Yeah. 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 
and the junkyard and the circus of power and the yeah, rhino bucket. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, maybe Bang Tango. I love that first Bang Tango record. That came out in 89 also, right? Man, that class of 89, you could do no wrong. All the bands I just mentioned, there was, there, you know, I think Rhino Bucket was a little late, but all Circus of Power, first L.A. Guns, Faster Pussycat, you know, I think L.A. Guns and Faster Pussycat were putting out their second records. Yeah, they were, because we toured with both of them in 89. So that's what it was. After our big, big party in New York, uh, we hit the road in September with Junkyard. And then in October, we started a tour in Austin with L.A. Guns. And then by, it was over by Thanksgiving. So, you know, a couple of months with L.A. Guns. Mm-hmm. It started October 11th in Austin at the Austin Opera House and went until Thanksgiving in L.A. So it started in our hometown, ended in their hometown. So by before 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 really December started to really be December, before really Texas winter we were in uh, Europe with Faster Pussycat. And you guys were busy. And our record, yeah, our first tour was a, like 11 months on the road. I mean, we come home for a few days or a week or something, but it was right back out. And we recorded that song for the Shocker soundtrack with Max Norman in San Marcos at the fire station where Psycho Cafe Bang Tango was recorded. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. It's weird, an L.A. band come to our our turf to record their first record, and we go to their, you know, pff, I don't know. Pretty weird. Yeah, it so always baffles me. think Texas is on the fucking map, you know? Yeah. But Max came down, and we made that made that song for that movie, and, and that was, that made it sound, uh, it made it cohesive with the tone of the record, you know, with the debut record, mm-hmm. <clears throat> the sound of that song, you know? And ironically, Alice Cooper and Megadeth and all those cats were on that record right. with us. And um, so anyway, and that was probably right before we we went to Europe with Pussycat, who had just been over there supporting GNR. So they were hot. And there mm-hmm. was a lot of... Uh, we uh, Hammersmith Odeon was sold out. We are the first band. And it was just... It was heavenly. Randy Castillo was up in the bar, up in the top floor. And he, I, I don't know if he was just over there hanging out or if Ozzy was doing some shows or he was playing for Ozzy at the time. Yeah. Uh, so anyway, yeah, high on the hog. So then you, you, when, so you got pulled off the road to go do the second album. Not, not yet. Because in uh, New on we got home for Christmas, New Year's Eve, Long Beach Arena, Dangerous Toys is on, is starting a tour with the Cult, Love Sonic the cult. Temple, Sonic Temple tour. That must have been a fun tour. They handpicked us. Yeah, they nice. saw our video and they were like, "We want these blokes. Let's get these <laughs> fucking guys." Yeah. I love the Cult. Yeah. They thought we were kind of like this modern New York Dolls vibe, 
but from Texas. So it was kind of this hick, punk, glam rock, butt rock, Camaro, <laughs> Budweiser thing going on. Did right? you say Camaro? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's funny. You know, let's start some trouble. Right. Rock and roll. Yeah. So, and they were right. And it worked really well. And those guys were super nice to us. And that's when the label, you know, about six weeks into that, that's when the label was like, eh, we need to make another record, man. It's like, dude, we're fucking out selling merch. Our record is, you know, doing great. And what? You know, and they, you know, I kind of understood it. Uh, but it made me mad cause I, I didn't want to sure. dance, you know? Sure. So yeah. when, so you did that second record was in, I want to say what, 91? <clears throat> right around summer there? of 90. 90. Summer of 90. So it was that, it was that summer. So I'm, I'm on the road with the cult in the spring. In the summer, I'm putting a, putting songs together with, uh, Roy Thomas Baker in Austin. Mm-hmm. Dude flew to Austin and hung out with us in Austin. Do you do you like writing with other people or? Well, we weren't writing with the producers. Okay. Taking suggestions, you know, yeah, that's what a producer does, right? Mm-hmm. So, um, I mean, producers do write songs. Um, producers fucking play guitar on people's albums yeah. and shit. Yeah. Um, but anyway, uh, we did write with other people for that second record. Uh, we wrote. Gypsy, Black and Blue Valentine, that uh-huh. piece of shit. We wrote that with... Uh, <laughs> you don't like that song? Jack. Oh, it's a great song, that piece of shit. <laughs> we wrote that song with Jack Ponty, who wrote Hey Stupid with uh-huh. Alice Cooper. Uh-huh. He may have written with Skid Row and Bon Jovi or something. And Jack was a lunatic in New Jersey. He's this New Jersey guy that was friends with all the Skid Row guys. He, he lived in Tom's River, where Snake and all those guys were from. Mm-hmm. And uh, me and Mike Watson, the bass player, flew out to his fucking house. It was really weird. And he had a studio rented, and we went out there and worked on that song. Um, I wrote uh, Demon Bell that was on the Shocker soundtrack. I To back up just a second, I wrote that on the phone before cell phones, like a $500 phone bill or something stupid. <laughs> it's like a three hour fucking phone call with Desmond child. No shit. Yeah, dude. Guy wrote with kiss and yeah. bon Joe. He wrote with everybody. He was like the new, uh, you know, Bob Ezrin or something, right? Kim Fowley and shit, you know, Kim Fowley wrote songs with kiss and, and, uh, you know, Joan Jett, lead forward, and, you know, the runaways and shit. Yeah. So, yeah, Desmond Child and me on the phone. And he was he was awesome. He was really great to work with. And he was pretty magical with the lyrical miracle. You know, I had some stuff I wanted to use, and I read it to him, and I kind of sang little bits to him. And he'd come back with this incredible stuff that worked that was in the mode of what the character of the movie was calling. Right. Right. And, uh, demon bell parentheses, the ballad of Horace Pinker, which is the star of the movie. And, um, the original idea of that song was, was called, the song was called dangerous toys, ironically enough. 
And the song, Dangerous Toys, was actually on that live tape that got us the management deal. So Remember so, the Corvette down yeah, the yeah, Ventura yeah. Freeway, right? Yeah. Pretty weird, right? It is. So we put that song together, changed a couple riffs, and we, we record it. And I, I use these lyrics that I wrote with Desmond Child. And to give you a window of what it was like, it was crazy, dude. And <clears throat> I knew I knew about his pedigree, but I didn't know anything about his personal, uh, you know, anything, Desmond Child. So I call the number, and this guy gets on the phone. He goes, hi, buddy. How are you? <laughs> Woo! How are you? Oh my God! It's so nice to talk to you. You know that's him. That was Desmond. I was like, "What the fuck?" And I was like, "Hey, man, how's it going?" Woo! It's going great. You know, it's like, "Woo, man!" He, he didn't hang up. He was happy, <laughs> and uh, he was—he was really—he's good at what he does, man. Oh yeah, yeah. So no complaints. And, uh, everyone loves that song and, uh, we didn't really have to change a whole lot. Um, and a lot of the riffs from our original idea still made it in and I, you know, the lyrics were good enough and my new melodies worked really well. So yeah, we're making a record, Roy Thomas Baker, we go back out to LA and we're in a different studio and. Things are a little bit different the way he did things than Max, and we're pretty happy. We honestly, in the you know, in the end, we feel like half the songs on Hellacious Acres are were cooked and and decent and good, and the other half were just kind of not. They were a little a little chewy. They were a little raw. Mm-hmm. And we kind of swear that when we when we were done with tracking the record. We had tones. We had these fat, you know, mean-sounding tones. And then by the time he had mixed it and thrown reverb on everything, it just made it ugly. Mm. It it didn't sound fat anymore. And we also felt like the cassette version was too hot. It was mastered. It was too hot. they, They fucked it up or something. And I think they had to remaster it. So that was a new experience as to where the first album, you know, the only thing that went kind of weird was our, the artist we had uh, didn't finish the artwork in time and we had to have a rush job done on a totally different, it was colorized in LA. The first album cover? Yeah, the album, the Mm -hmm. artwork. Mm -hmm. Buddy of mine painted it. I mean, uh, drew it and started to paint it and then couldn't finish it. He stayed up for three days supposedly and couldn't finish it. And and my manager, you know, scalped him and said, you need to ship, you need to FedEx that overnight that to the lip to, to us out here. And so we can have somebody fucking finish it. Cause you fucked up. Right. Right. Yeah. But that was the only hiccup on the, you know, everything went great first record but the second record seemed a little bit sluggish uh-huh. and the climate the climate was weird you know 
so we go on tour. We're 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 in rehearsals, and you know, are you guys sitting down? We get the call. Are you guys sitting down? Yeah. Why are we sitting down? And management's like, because I just got you on the Operation Rock and Roll tour with your idols, Motorhead, Metal Church, uh, Judas Priest, and Alice Cooper. Wow, that's a hell of a tour. Yeah, that went through through Florida. The cult the cult tour went through Florida too. Uh, those dates are probably on the internet. I don't know. I don't know what they are. Mm-hmm. I have dates, man. I have some old tour itineraries. I think they're close by, but man, that'd be a rabbit hole. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure. Yeah, motherfucking rabbit hole right there. Um, so, I so- remember Lars, the, the show that we, the cult show we did in, uh, oh, Orlando, maybe. I, I don't know where we were. Uh, uh, Lars was there. Checking it out. I, I, yeah. He's, friends with matt sorum mm-hmm. matt sorum was in the cult at the time right and uh i walk in and there's Lars. wow what the fuck dude because i had met him when you know on their first tour right in, in 83 so i used we'll, to call the house i used to call the old metallica house on carlson boulevard in el cerrito california hey so, dude what's up james there <laughs> yeah hold on so I would talk to Lars every once in a while because I, I used to call James. And you ever talk to those guys now? No. Um, after like you know, Master of Puppets, uh, that was kind of it. Yeah, I saw them on that tour, and then they, you know, when they Ozzy, you know, had them out, and they were they were still like these punks, you know. And then after the the Ozzy tour, and they. Yeah, you just... know, I think their management and their whole things changed when I used to in like '86. I used to call the the house, and one day Lars answered Q Prime, hmm. and I was like, "Lars, Q Prime, the fuck is that?" Oh, never mind. Let me get James. <laughs> and I was like, "Dude, I actually need to talk to you. I'm looking for clubs to play." Remember, I told you Watchtower was going to play San Francisco. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I was calling out there to get some names and numbers to try to book some shit. Anyway, uh, yeah, as soon as they started answering the phone cue prime, it was over. Like, them just, like, hanging out with punters and their beer-drinking buddies, and it was kind of a different world. Well, they blew up after that, too. Yeah, they blew up. Yeah, well, they had management, they had the label, they had Ozzy. They, They literally never opened for another band ever again after the Aussie tour. Yeah. Tell me I'm wrong. I'm not. No, you're so, not. You're right. Yeah. So anyway, um, I'm on tour with Judas Priest. I, I see Priest and Motorhead and, uh, and, and Alice Cooper and Metal Church every night. Now that had to be the best for you being a, a metal fan that you were. Hello. <laughs> yeah. Um, Lemmy's hanging out in my dressing room every day. Uh, hello. <laughs> Pretty weird, right? So how how long was that tour? Well, that was summer 91. Shit was changing fast, right? And uh, seven weeks-ish. Not not two months, you know. Right, almost two months. But, but long. Yeah. Long enough to me to be able to 
come home and go, wow, that was rad, you know? Right. So after- um, I, I learned a lot, you know, uh, you know, that was a, that was a huge sort of like a shed tour where, you know, it's like you're, you know, the, the venue doesn't hold 10,000. Now it holds like 20, mm-hmm. 15, you know, um, and ticket sales weren't great all the time. Some markets sold well, some markets, the venue size, they, they downsized the venue and took metal church and motorhead off. And for some lucky Texas boy reason, we outsold and had more airplay than motorhead and metal church, which kind of makes sense when you say it like that. Yeah. I would uh, think so. Had a hotter, had a hotter video or a hotter single, which probably would have been giving a lip, uh, than those guys did. Mm-hmm. And, um, I hate that cause I love metal church and motorhead and everybody knows that. Yeah. Well, it is but, what it uh, is. There were a couple, there were, there were a handful of markets where it was just us with priest and Cooper. Hmm. So it made us look good. Right. I mean, the stages were smaller cause it was a smaller venue. So we had the same amount of room, you know, no, you know, didn't. It wasn't like, a, oh man, I can run around now. You know, it wasn't really that. It was. And did you have good turnout for your set? Well, it was it was a better turnout than uh, it was when all, you know, when it was a full gamut because mm-hmm. we were second on the bill after Metal Church. Between Metal Church and dude, think about this scenario. You ready? Ready. Metal Church is the first band at like 5.30 or 6 p.m. Sun shining right up their ass, right? Then we're on right after them. Sun's still out burning my ginger skin <laughs> off of my skin cancer. Then Motorhead is right after us. So hold on, hold hold the phone. So you got this sort of like boogie, glam rock but rock band, dare I say hair metal, I hate the term with a passion, <laughs> uh, band smashed in between metal church and motorhead. Right. Their fans, metal church loves motorhead and motorhead loves metal church. Their fans, no, I'm not talking our fans, their fans, they were, uh, they were hot. They were, they were upset. They were not having any dangerous toys. Really? Fuck see, this. see, I think, I think you would have been able to fit in there because you still well, had I'll that grit. This, I was running around as fast as I could. We were playing those songs faster than normal. We were trying to step it up a little bit because we were trying to not get hit with quarters and lighters and piss yeah. bombs. Some markets would killed it. I don't have a problem saying that, mm-hmm. but that's just, shit you say i mean you know some people were there and it's documented very well that there was a we had our fans in a lot of markets yeah and then when metal church and motorhead fans they hear that part about well about three or four dates without metal church and motorhead well fuck god i wouldn't have even gone it's like yeah because you hate judas right right what you know so yeah so you can't really cook the the hard rock heavy metal fan up 
into one stew uh unless you know you like all all of those bands and there were quite a bit that did that were there all fucking day that loved all of it yeah but you know i would have been there to see metal church and motorhead and priest and cooper and not dangerous toys if i was just if i was not in dangerous toys <laughs> because, mm, yeah because those are my band that's my music i'm not really I'm, i mean we we sort of fit with cooper he he's got some boogie woogie he's got some you know he's he he's was not in really the, metal he, but he's he not metal no he hit that uh let's call it camaro rock how's that he hit that camaro rock era well, yeah, yeah, he kind of fit into the, the hair metal a little bit because he had all the pretty boys playing in his band at the time. Yeah, and it was uh, it was Peter Chris. Okay, I'm kidding. It's Eric Singer, <laughs> but it was you know Peter. It was Peter Chris. Dude, I just got right? that. That didn't yeah. that didn't register with me. Yeah, right Eric right. Singer was an Alice Cooper. Yeah, I remember. <clears throat> yeah, and Derek Sherinian was an Alice Cooper who plays with Mike Portnoy and all those dudes who he was in Dream Theater for a minute. Yeah. I did not know that. He was in Alice Cooper. And uh, Vinny Moore was in Alice Cooper on that tour, who has was in, until recently, in UFO. For mm. years, he was in UFO. Kind of amazing shit going on. You've you know? got a lot of music knowledge. Nick, we should have did a trivia. Should have, yeah. yeah. Greg Smith, the bass player who was in Alice's band, he played for Ted Nugent for years after that. Huh. He's in he's in a band another band that does really well that's on and all does all the festivals and cruises and shit. I can't think of what band it is right now. Anyway, it doesn't matter. Right. So we do that tour. Uh we did some uh some other stuff uh that's not that to speak of, so to so to speak. And, um, it's 92 and we lose, uh, lose, start losing members. Uh, Danny guitar player, who's not original anyway, the, the people that are still in dangerous toys are the ones that recorded the debut record. Hmm. So you got all the original guys now? Well, all the original guys are still pretty much the, you know, the four of us that played on the first record, like Danny Aaron, there's a guy that's in the photo on the back of the first record. He didn't play a lick on there. Right. He was a replacement guy. The guy that signed the deal with us, Tim Trimbley, who wrote uh, the lyrics for teasing police and an outlaw. Uh, he was let go and replaced by Danny, but we were mid recording of mm -hmm. the record. So he went home, he came out, did a, he did the photo shoot with us. He came out and jammed with us a little bit and met our manager and then went home and we made the we made the record. He played on the second record. Right. So we're he he did the he did the pre tour, right? So we come home, it's ninety two, we're writing songs and you know and he decides to leave the band because we're that's when we're writing and we we're we're you know, hey, can you call the label and tell them to fuck off? You know, right. Kind of remember that part? Yeah. So it's 93. We have a replacement, this guy, Kevin Fowler, who now is a huge regional country star and, you know, makes probably 15 grand a night. 
killing it. Yeah. Awesome songwriter. And he, he's a country guy. Kevin Fowler, you should look him up. If you like country at all, you'll, you'll see what I mean. It's a little honky tonk. Not, it's not very, it's not too Nashville country. It's still kind of old school. Yeah. But he was, he, he joined the band for about nine months and we did a tour. We did a U.S. tour, like almost 200 dates with him on guitar. And that was a lot of fun. We were not supporting a record, but we were playing songs that ended up on the Pissed record, which is the third studio record. Yeah. Now that one, that one came out original. Yeah, that came out in uh, 94, summer 94. That's right. And so we, our original uh, guy we wanted to replace Danny was Paul Idell from Dirty Looks because we are huge Dirty Looks fans. They have the Max Norman connection. Uh, we we loved Paul, and he was a huge Toys fan, and so was Henrik Ostergaard, singer for Dirty Looks. Mm-hmm. And uh, we basically stole Paul, but we couldn't get him until January '94. So he comes to, we did a little tour with Kevin and then, and then we get Paul in January of 94 by March. We're in LA recording a record pissed, Mm. make foot out there, make piss. We come home from recording pissed and Mike Watson, original bass player decides to leave the band and go to trade school Mm -hmm. because he, he doesn't have any money. We've got no, you know, the money we're making is not the money we need to be making to be like able to really eat pay rent shit. Right. Um, because you know, it had waned. We're not on the big label anymore. We're not, you know, we had outlived the, just off the Judas priest, Alice Cooper, operation rock and roll. You know, we, we are done with that. You can't milk that anymore. Right. So, um, so we're we're booking a tour for Pissed, and Mike Watson leaves, and I call. We just got Paul Idell in the band. We just made a record with Paul Idell from Dirty Looks. It was fucking awesome. We lose Mike Watson. He sings all those harmonies and scared and shit. He's mm-hmm. my singer. He's my fucking singer. I lose him. Danny Aaron was a good singer too, but Paul Idell sing his ass off. So I've got these great singers. Well, now I'm down to just me and Paul because I have to call. And it, it was it was a, a wise choice, and I do not regret it. He kicked ass. Uh, Michael Hannon from Salty Dog. Remember that? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. baby, come along. Yeah. Yeah. Right? Yeah, man. And uh, he's uh, he was a big fan, and I'd met Salty Dog dudes in Austin when they came through on tour. And so, you know, we were buddies, and hung around with him in LA and stuff. And, uh, so we're, we just make the piss record. We had just seen Michael Hannon out there in in LA recording and shit, hanging out. And we're back in Austin and I'm calling my, he's like, Hey, what's up? I go, dude, what are you doing? He goes, I'm on a ladder painting the house. I said, well, get off the fucking ladder and put your base amp in your minivan and drive to Texas and do this tour with us. He goes, I'm on my way. Didn't want to paint anymore. Well, you know, he had the feeling he's going to make some money. I think he made five bucks a day, as the story goes, and yeah. he tells it. Yeah. But, yeah, he, didn't, he got out of there, you know. But he's living on a tour bus playing rock and roll with his buddies, you know. At least that's fun. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then when the tour ended, he, he went home, but and the record did okay. I think we sold about 
11,000 of them or something, which well, that, is not shit when you think about it. But hey, man, especially these days, I'll take that. Yeah, but in 94 is when everything switched. God damn right. You know, so yeah, I mean, what was, I don't know what you would be expecting to release, release an album at that time. Not much. Trying to fill the shoes we were wearing just even two years prior was impossible. Yeah. Um, so we did, you know, that lasted until spring, uh, maybe beginning of, uh, through summer, barely through, you know, end of spring, not very long. And he's, uh, Salty Dog's originally from Columbus. So he goes back to Columbus. Smart man going back to LA would have been murder. Yeah. Because of what you just said, it was, yeah, it was exactly. the dumps, you know, Sunset Strip. What's that, right? So, um, and it hadn't been the Sunset Strip in years anyway. So, we start writing again, but there's no bass player. So, I'm playing bass again. I'm playing bass. And yep. I'm writing songs on the bass. I'm writing on guitar. I'm writing with Paul. I'm writing with Scott. And we make this record, the artist formerly known as Dangerous Toys hoping to get a bass player. But by the time the producer, which was actually the producer was Tom Fletcher, who was actually the engineer on the piss record. And we really liked Tom Fletcher. So he flew to Texas and we made the artist formerly known as in Austin. And he go, he heard the demos and he's like, well, you're doing some pretty cool shit on the bass. And I don't know, you should just play bass. Okay. I'll play bass. So play bass, made the record. Didn't know what we we're going to call it. Thought about changing the name of the band even uh-huh. because the songs are so weird when you compare it. Right? Yeah, yeah. I'm not saying baby. I'm not saying shoobity mama. I'm not grabbing my crotch. I'm not, you know, it was dark themed and it was angry and it was brooding and it sounded like we had been bitten by the you know the the modern industrial ministry and Trent Reznor bug and the white zombies and mm-hmm. the smashing pumpkins and the, we maybe our songwriting had followed some trends and and maybe even the Pantera and the, you know it was like we weren't we had nothing to lose by just write songs let's write songs I mean, let's not write songs that. It's not write songs that necessarily reflect the sound of the band that you know of of last year because no chances of people buying that are shit. Yeah. So we made a record for fun, and there was a little label that put out Piss that wanted us to make a record that all no holds barred. So we just made a record. We just made a fucking record. You know what? It was so liberating to make a record like that. It felt good, dude. I'm sure. And there's some great tunes on there. I think the label went belly up. And they knew they were going to anyway. The owner of the label had deep pockets. He didn't even steal it. Mm-hmm. But, <clears throat> you know, we lost the label, lost their distribution. You know, they were destroying pallets of material, you know, CDs that were on the label. I found a lot of it and cut out and bought it for like did three you? grand. I got like, you know, 5,000 CDs. <laughs> what did you do with them? Well, I still got them in my garage. You guys want a barrel of them? <laughs> That's funny. 
Did well, you get they, a- they sell on CD Baby for a buck or two. You know, I, I my family got tired of getting them in their fucking stocking every year. <laughs> every year. Christmas, about 10 years ago. Well, Christmas is coming <laughs> up again, so. Well, I got to find some new friends to send them to, I guess. Well, you can send them to us. Mm. Send us some. I need about 30. <laughs> I don't know if we need 30. But. Yeah. Uh, no, you do, because, you know, coasters and hot chocolate and coffee. <laughs> You might be thirsty. Um, well, you know, and then my manager, and I'm not mad, I'm not mad about this. He, he gave, uh, Cleopatra deadline records, a perpetual deal on the material on pissed and the artist with a piggyback of, uh, uh, the rights to do a, for us to put together a live record. So, you know, they make the digital off of uh, the, the some of the sales of that. We make the mechanicals. They make the digital off those songs, off Pissed and Artist, which kind of, I guess, uh You got the raw and the deal on that. Yeah, because <clears throat> I think that what was really happening is my manager, he was being cool about it, but he was also kind of cleaning house. mm don't blame him at all. It was a rough time. Yeah. So, uh, you know, <clears throat> we move on. We make that record. It goes out. We make a tour. Total Spinal Tap. We're doing in stores, and we're at it. We're at it. We're do, we're at a Best Buy. Believe it or not. Hi, right, we're here to do the in store. They're like, "Who are you?" We're like, uh, uh. "We're Dangerous Toys," and. I'm the tour manager and I talked to somebody on the phone the other day, but, uh, no, nah, you didn't talk to anybody here. You guys get the fuck out of here. What's your, what's your band? Yeah. We didn't even carry that. We're, we, that's not even here. We're like, what? We call the label and they're like, uh, yeah, we lost our distribution three days ago. And the belly, the, the label went belly up and our, your publicist is supposed to call you. And it's like, <sighs> we went home. That's gotta we be the home, worst. Bro. Yeah. We went home. It was a spinal tap. Yeah. Just kick my ass. <sighs> you know. <clears throat> Spinal tap. So 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 was that the end right there? That was ninety six into ninety five, ninety six. And by ninety seven I was writing songs with other people. Mm-hmm. I was in a band called the Union Underground. I remember that band, and yeah, I didn't. I, I was their bass player for two years, and I flew. They flew me to L.A., and I showcased with them, which ultimately got them their deal. But then they had to replace me, and they replaced me with my suggestion. They go, "You know any bass players who play with a pedal board and a pick like you?" <laughs> and I'm like, "As a matter of fact, I do. It's the guy from this band that's on Interscope called Soak S O A K." had a hit called Caroline and the bass player, John Moyer is a bad motherfucker and you should go talk to him. And so they went and saw soak and soak with, you know, I think they were cleaning house too. Yeah. And they took him a CD and he loved it and he joined the band, you know, like, I got high five, you know, and they, they went on tour and they did a bunch of Oz fest and made friends, made friends with disturbed and boom, next thing you know, a couple of years later, John Moyer is in, disturbed that's how i learned that you were in there because i sat with uh john on their tour bus when they were on ozfest down in tampa 
and we were talking and he was saying how you were in the band yeah did you just not want to be in the band or i mean why did they well i was uh i was in another band at the same time playing guitar in this industrial metal band called um terminal 46 and it was this heavy angry you know saw blade gnashing crazy trent reznor kind of white zombie kind of a thing that was just scary as fuck and me and the guitar player for broken teeth were doing that and that would have been 97 98 uh in 99, I started writing Broken Teeth material with Paul Lydell. In 99, Mike Watson rejoins Dangerous Toys because a promoter called us and goes, dude, if you get the original dudes as close, you know, get Mike Watson back in the band, because we had Paul still, right? If you get Mike Watson back in the band, I'll book you on uh, some dates with Alice Cooper. And I called Mike, and he was like, fuck yeah, let's do it. So we opened for Alice Cooper in 99, and that was the, uh, yeah, yeah. And after 99, we started playing as Dangerous Toys for years and years and years. We would do like four and five and six and seven and eight shows a year on through till now. Yeah. But yeah. Didn't so be- we, were, we were kind of back, but we didn't, we didn't really play any or write anything new until fairly recently. So we were just kind of a retro dangerous toys. All right. Are they going to play scared? And that's all they wanted to hear. And we did. And then they would go home and release the babysitter. (laughs) Well, you did a lot of things Uh, in, in between that time with broken teeth. Well, yeah, uh, let's back up a little bit because, uh, I quit, I quit, uh, uh, union underground and they took off. And during that time, I had joined a band, started writing these great fucking songs. I was playing bass and writing with these dudes in this band called Godzilla Motor Company. Right. And I love that band. And it was such a weird time for metal and rock. Labels were afraid to take a chance on something like that. But... It's like a mixture of uh, Alice in Chains, Soundgarden, and Pantera, and Slayer. And that's the band you played with, Neurotica. Melody, yes. Melodies, and riffs, and blast beats, and total dirge. You know, go from Sabbath to Slayer to Alice in Chains on a dime. Progressive is super badass which uh sidebar raise a flag right here uh we recorded 16 songs godzilla did Mm -hmm. in 2003 and then disband and the hard drive recently like within a month ago six weeks ago covid during covid Mm -hmm. the hard drive was uncovered and reloaded and remixed and a 16 track album is coming out wow godzilla motor company which won't have a band to support it but the shit is so fucking good it would have totally hung in there with anything out in 98 99 2000 well that's cool i mean i'd like to check it out when it gets out there 
Yeah. I'll watch for it. Yeah, I would love for you to hear it. Um, so, yeah, and then in 99, the toys start playing out again. In 98, I, 99, 99, I start writing with Paul, and we have this side project called Broken Teeth, which has been around uh, 20 years now, <clears throat> 21 years now. And I hate to say this, but I just recently found out about that project. That's all right. People still call it my new band. <laughs> it's so, good stuff, though. Yeah, Very just it's kick-ass uh, rock and roll. Hard rock. Yeah. Oh, my God. Bluesy. It's like if Motorhead and Judas Priest had a rock and Do you have dogs, Jason, or is that yours, Nick? Those are mine. mine. <laughs> they make an appearance on a show every now and then. Yeah, every well, week. They should. You know, they got to <laughs> pee, they got to shit, they got to eat. You know. Yeah, you know. So they broken. Got, where's my? Where's mine? Where's my microphone? Right. Well, broken teeth. So twenty years that you guys yeah. were around. Yeah, we have like nine albums out. And I got to get caught up. Yeah, I can help out with that. Yeah, man. I, I was listening to it, and I, I was really digging it the last couple of days. Cool. Our most recent thing. Our last show was December 19th or something of uh, 2019 because of COVID. And we happened to record that show and videotape, like pro shot, that show. So we had audio and video. And so COVID hit and I was like, called my dude. And I'm like, dude, we got to produce this. We got to put this out. And so we did, and the record is a CD, DVD set called Evil in the Queue. And yeah, it's available it's, right now. It's hot. It's hot cakes right now. Yeah, I got to check that out. So not long after that, like, I don't know, 2003 or four, I joined Igniter. Now that, that's just straightforward metal. Oh, yeah. That's like uh, Dungeons and Dragons Dio meets King Diamond worshiping Satan on a Saturday night wearing Rob Halford's wardrobe. You got some Rob Halford. Uh, you sound like him every now and then in that well, stuff. I love you, too, because <laughs> Rob Halford is one of my main guys. He's one of my main guys. He's one of my idols. I, I didn't him. even know that. See, it's amazing when when you hear somebody like like I said earlier that I knew you from the toys. And then to hear you sing those different styles, I, I never knew you can do it. Oh. So I, I can't really pinpoint the year when I joined Igniter, but again, I replace a, replace a female singer. They have two records out, uh, Take to the Sky and Road of Bones with Erica Tandy, who uh, was unmarried at the time. She went by Erica Swinich and then Erica and Erica Tandy who is so good. She is so fucking good. Um, she plays guitar and sings in a death metal band called Morgan Growl. And mm. her husband is a death metal guy too. And he's in a bunch of bands and I can't even keep up. I, if I tell you the name of the bands, I'll get them wrong. <laughs> I don't speak death metal. Black metal. I, I can't. Anyway, and they are two of my favorite people in the whole world. Uh, Jeff and Erica Tandy. Anyway, I replace her in Igniter, and uh, we put out the Spider Queen, um, 
that has me on it. Uh, then uh, Year of the Metal Tiger. Uh, then we did a covers album called Mixtape 85. Then we did uh, Haunted by Rock and Roll. And that's on David Ellison's label. And then recently, we just put out, like on Halloween, it just came out. It's called The Golden Age of Black Magic. And there are two video singles out already. The title track and the new one just came out days ago called Tonight We Ride. You guys got to check it out. It's hilarious. I haven't checked that one out. I will. Yeah. Uh, So Igniter is a lot of fun. And we haven't played since, oh, shit, probably March. Yeah, well, not a lot of people are playing right now, so. No, no one's playing. So, anyway, then um, then uh, in, like, 2007 or something, I am backstage at Heaven and Hell, Megadeth, and Machine Head in San Antonio, Texas. And the drummer from Machine Head at the time, he's not in Machine Head anymore, but he's in Machine Head for 23 years. His name is David McLean. He's in uh, Sacred Reich Mm -hmm. from uh, Scottsdale, Arizona. Anyway, uh, he's from San Antonio, Texas originally. He was in San Antonio Slayer. So he used to do shows with Watchtower. I've known him since we were children. Uh we're hanging out with him because he's in Machine Head and they're opening for, you know, Ronnie James Dio and Black Sabbath and they're called Heaven and Hell and Megadeth is the middle band on that. Oh my God, it's, we're yeah. in heaven. And we're in heaven and hell. Sorry, had to. And so we're backstage and, you know, Mustaine and Dio are walking around and I'm going, oh my God. Oh, I'm stepping on my tongue, you know. And so, anyway, we're hanging out, machine head, whatever. And, the, you know, Don Van Stavern from, who's in Riot, he's in the band Riot, uh, and kicking ass with that, um, he was in San Antonio Slayer. So, you know, just all this old Watchtower, San Antonio Slayer, and these Texas metal alumni are hanging out backstage at this show, at this godly event. And... Don was in a Don Van Savern was in a band with these other dudes called I'm gonna say it Pitbull Daycare. Okay. Jason Jason West. Yeah. Neurotica. Okay. So he Jason West is back there. Don's back there. The other dudes in are back there from Pitbull Daycare. I am back there. And we're all high five and Dave McLean, who's in Machine Head opening for fucking Megadeth and you know. Anyway, Dave McLean, our boy, is a fucking rock star. You know, we're worshiping. And those guys in Pitbull Daycare, dude, they're sort of ending. They had just lost their singer, and they're looking at me, and they're going, Hey, man, uh, we got some riffs, uh, Pitbull riffs, you know. Can we send them to you? And I'm like, fucking hey, dude. Born is the band Evil United. So that was we put with- out a record last year called Serpent, and it was our third third evil united record guess who named the band dave mclean <laughs> dave mclean former machine head da, 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 former sa slayer da, 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 da. so all this history it's basically pitbull day here don 
played bass on the first two records, and then we he got busy with Riot because he rock star with Riot and uh, a young gent by the name of Andrew Salazar played bass on the le- the newest uh, uh, Evil United record, which is called Serpent. Yeah. So there's a debut self-titled. There is one called Honored by Fire, and there is one called Serpent, which is also on Dave, uh, David Ellison's label. Okay. Well, man. So, see, you do. You've been doing so much, dude. It's not boring. Well, it's awesome though that you can do that and you can still sing like the way you sing. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's a gift. Well, I, I owe a lot to it. I owe that to probably being a vocal coach at the School of Rock for 15 years. Wow. In the middle of all of the shit I just told you. Right, right. So I think we're kind of caught up to date. I know it's 2020, you know, nine records of Broken Teeth. That's its own story because there's nine records. and uh, we still have yet to talk about Howling Sycamore. Yep, and that's that is a project that you haven't even met each other, correct? That is correct. And our biggest fan is our biggest fan is Danko Jones. Yeah, who is like love Danko. I'm I'm gay for Danko. I love Danko <laughs> Jones. I've been on his podcast three times, and I I brag about that, and people go, people still say, "What's a Danko?" I go, "You suck. You need to get out more." Three times. We're gonna have to get you on ours four times. See, there you go. One and more. Then you need to make patches so you can <laughs> send me a patch. Yeah, he has patches, doesn't he? We don't have yeah. patches. Yeah, he goes. So if you're a three timer, and there's a, he said there's only like three or four three timers, and I'm going. What? I'm like, who are they? And he goes like, you're in good company. One of them's Duff McKagan. One of them's like, I don't know, Bumblefoot. One of them's like, you know, blah, you know. So, yeah. Well, we'll, we'll, by the time we get you on here four times, we'll have something for you. How's that? A trophy. Got it at the Goodwill. No, no. No, we'll make it. it. We'll make it. uh, It'll be a good one. Yeah. Okay. (laughs) Um, So, yeah, Howling Sycamore... You know, that was probably 2015 or 2016, 2015 maybe. I get this email out of nowhere from David Tiso, an Italian metal guitar player who was in this death metal band called the Fall Duoth. Don't ask me to say it again. I won't. He says, I'm a fan of yours. I would love to work with you. I have all these songs. Uh, it's a project. I'm playing bass and guitar. I have a friend playing drums, blah, 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 blah. I said, before I come in, I need to hear the material. and I need to see what's up. I press play. I'm like, jaw on the ground. I'm like, this is insane. Because the shit was insane. Didn't have to write any lyrics. Uh, you know, uh, I, 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 I took one song and took his lyrics that he sent me, and I sang on it, and I sent it to him, and he shat his pants. And the shit came out so fucking good. We started calling each other. And we still have never met in person. Well, Um, that's kind of the way things can happen these days. Incredible, incredible, incredible journey. The songs take me on a journey. The the melodies I wrote with his lyrics took me on a journey. Him and his wife wrote all the lyrics for the record. 
and she's in a band. She's got a circle of witches or something like that. Uh, I think it was on seasons in the mist records or something. Mm -hmm. Her name is Karen. So she has her own fan base. She's a singer, a writer, but an artist. So they're both Italian artists. So there's this whole other wing of shit. I didn't even realize, you know, Fun factoid is in 2004, I, I, you know, I, in, the, in 2000 and 2004, I actually did Watchtower reunion shows. I went to Germany and did Bang Your Head Festival in 2000 with Watchtower. And again, I went to uh, Amsterdam and played with Watchtower, Watchtower again in 2004 at the Headway Festival. And... Ifal Duath, David T- David Tiso from Helling Sycamore's band was on the bill with me. Huh. Still never didn't meet him in the same same room, sharing a dressing room, standing right next to him, never met him. Never knew. Calls me years later, hey dude, I want you to sing on my shit. Da, 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 da. I sing on the shit. It's it gets it gets picked up. We get, the record gets picked up by uh, prosthetic. And it goes so well that we do a follow-up and the second record was called, uh, uh, seven pathways to annihilation. And both of her are available on vinyl. Uh, they, they let us go not long after the first record came. I'm mean, sorry. The second record came out just because shit got tight, you know? Yeah. That happens. Um, Marty Friedman, Megadeth fame, uh, plays a solo on the ballad on the second record. It's Not fucking incredible. It's, it's so incredible. And it's like if, you know, if Queensryche played death metal meets Rush meets <laughs> like fucking the most progressive, weird Metallica dream theater, fucking Pink Floyd shit Jesus. you've ever heard. It's crazy. <laughs> <laughs> And I love it. And it's so good. Um, you know, when the first record was about to be released, my my parents weren't doing very well. And so, like, 2016, 17, up to about two and a half, three years ago at that point, 2018, I was not a good, I was not a good person. Mm-hmm. I was not happy. I was a good person, but you know what I mean? I was pretty stinky. It was was really tough. I was able to create, be creative because it was, it's my, it's my voice. You know, it's how I cope is create, you know? And, uh, my, yeah, the first record, the first howling record is dedicated to uh, my father. Uh And the second record, by the time the liner notes were done, it was too late to dedicate that one to my mother. Right. But there's a father-mother thing there in that Howling Sycamore thing that is, to me, it's 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 in there. And there sure. is a father-mother thing in the lyrics as well, which I did not write, which, there you go. Yeah. It's pretty weird. And it's kind of hippie shit too, crystal ball kind of, you know. It's, yeah. But enlightenment is what it is, really. 
Well, I need I need to check it out. There's a so the journey the journeys that we were all on through me and my voice and the, I'm talking me and David, you know, because he was there with me. I was, you know, like like not physically, but 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 uh, spiritually through the music. He was feeling where I was. You mm-hmm. know? So there's a father mother thing in the Howling Sycamore, and in the middle of all that, I'm trying to to be metal and. I'm making igniter videos and I'm, <laughs> I'm, uh, I'm writing and, and making, uh, I'm writing new evil United and making evil United videos. And it was you, pretty fucking good. You just need uh, to do some country. I did. I have a good fuck out of I, here. I do. I do write country. Yeah. My, my very first country song I ever wrote recently came out just a, a couple weeks ago. Is it is it online where I can hear? It? I wrote it. Yeah, I wrote it for a country record. There's this cock rock band from L.A. called Leather Duchess. Hmm. It's not a great band name. No, they're not the. They're not the. You know, they're they're fun and they have some good songs and they're young. You know, so whatever. And they got balls to be a cock rock band in 2021. Well, hey, if that's what you like to do, that's what you like. Right, right. And they're super fun, and the, they're super nice kids. And they've, they've toured, actually, a little. They came through Texas a couple of years ago, and they covered Tease and Please and invited me up on stage to sing it with them. That's cool. And that's even online. You know, YouTube is an amazing toy. Anyway, so um, Tyler Heath, the singer for Leather Duchess, he gets with me every once in a while. He goes, uh, yeah, I'm going to make a country record. I go, man, that's fucking cool. And I, he's like, uh, if you got any songs, I want to be out. Because he covers Promise the Moon on it, on his country record. Promise the Moon from the Piss album. Mm-hmm. And that's one of mine that I wrote for the Piss record. So. Uh, the way Tyler says it, he goes, Jason, you wrote 20% of the fucking record. <laughs> so anyway, so I wrote a song called baby bird and it's on Tyler Heath's. Let's just go to YouTube and look up Tyler Heath. I'm writing this down. Baby so, bird. I'll forget. I'm old. Yeah, me too. Baby bird. And you'll, and you'll hear it. And I wrote that song and, uh, the demo, the vibe of the demo is quite different, but it's in the same key. It's in like the same tempo. But if you hear, if you were to hear a demo version of it with me on it, you would go, "Oh, I see how that's different." Mm-hmm. Uh, because he's not as like lonesome cowboy as I want it to be. And the kids from Oklahoma, you would think he would be all about the lonesome cowboy, but hmm. I mean, I'm literally trying to sound like a mashup of you know, a uh, sad Elton John with a old Willie Nelson vibe, you know? Right. Right. Oh man. Yeah, that's, that's kind of how the song was written too. Is if Elton and Willie made a, made a song, it would be this. So how about I love Elton John, by the way, a few couple years ago, I, I started an Elton John tribute band. I'm also Rob Halford in a priest tribute band too. Of course. Well, I can see that now the Elton John thing, yeah. You're not playing piano. Nope. You know that's right. I got a six-piece band, and I'm playing acoustic guitar and singing. 
Oh man, you just you're all over the place. You're a busy man. It's yeah, I don't I don't know my name sometimes. <laughs> you know what though? You seem like well you do. You love music and that's what you do. It is what I do. And that's that's awesome. Not many people can say that. No one questions that. Mm-mm. Well, that's awesome, Jason. I'm gonna have to send you a song and uh you can write a song with Nick and I. Keep you even busier. Great. <laughs> now, let me know what you got. Yeah. So, how about uh, Dangerous Toys? Any uh, new stuff coming out? You mentioned something about that earlier. Well, yeah, we started right. You know, for years and years and years and years and years. I just, I've just had it in my head. It's like, you know, there's a lot of bands from the, you know, you could say Class of '89 that, you know, LA Guns and Pussycat and all, all those dudes. You know, they're still making records and still touring and I listen to their records and I'm going, Nope, can't touch that. That is not up to par with the shit I fell in love with. I don't want dangerous toys to be that. I don't like that. It happens a lot. I don't want to make a record that, you know, at age 55, I don't want to make a record, uh, that sounds like I'm just talking about my dick all the time. Right. Because I'm 55. I'm not 23. I'm 55. So it was really tough. But, you know, Tom Hazer, the guy who sings in Ellison's band and is, uh, you know, the A&R guy, one of the executive producers for EMP label group for Ellison label, you know, Dave Ellison's label. He's a huge toys fan. And he's got the clown tattooed on his fucking leg and it's huge and it's crazy and and so he's become my friend and uh, he sort of talks me into it into writing with the toys again so I'd say pre-COVID we were actually every once in a while we'd get together to rehearse for a gig and maybe throw around some riffs and throw some lyrics up in the air and yada yada mm-hmm. so at this point I'd say we have a solid six or seven songs that are not too shabby. Yeah, so it could be a full-length album. That's the idea. But, you know, at this point, and I hate blaming it on COVID, but it is what it is. uh, We're writing over the internet. We don't, we don't, the toys like to get in the sweat box and in the garage and turn the heat on and yeah. write a record like we always did because that's how we always wrote. It's how we wrote Piss. It's how we wrote The Artist. It's how we wrote Hellacious. And it's how we wrote the first album. So what the fuck? Yeah. Well, well we yeah. can't do that now. And there's some old dogs on the band that are just can't do it that way. Mm-hmm. So this COVID shit, I mean, I, you know, Howling Sycamore, I'm, I'm shit. Even you not, I mean, I'm making records like that for fucking decade now i'm recording all my shit at home bro you have your own studio at home anyway i'm doing you know but i but i'm still a part of the pack that you know doesn't like to work that way too yeah uh so me and scott it's come down to me i hate saying that but even because mike watson you know wrote he wrote 10 boots he wrote best of friends he wrote Fucking, you know, he's he's a writer. He wrote he wrote some shit on Pissed. He, you know, mm-hmm. the bass player is a is a great. You know, he's one of the OGs and the toys, right? But 
for whatever reason, you know, I don't have a way to record. You know, like, you can't get one. What's going on? It's a holdup, bitch. You know? Yeah, yeah. It's not too difficult. And, uh, and Paul uh, writes different. You know, Paul writes, when he writes songs, it's like he, he wrote some of the bigger songs, you know, some of the most, I can't, don't want to say hits, but more popular Broken Teeth songs. Mm-hmm. And he was in the band until about 2007. And so, you know, we still play some of the old Teeth songs in the Broken Teeth set. Yeah. And he's badass. I mean, I love Dirty Looks and his style. But for some reason, that what he did for Dirty Looks and what he did for Broken Teeth is not translative, is that, if that's even a, a, a word, to it doesn't translate so much to the way Scott writes or the way Scott and I write. Uh-huh. I can write badass rock and roll songs with Paul all day long. But when Scott gets involved and he puts his spin on it, which in my opinion might be arguable, Scott is what makes my voice make the song sound like a dangerous story song. Talk yeah. amongst yourselves. Yeah. When you hear that and and that that kind of silly like shit sounds like a modem starting up or something and like bones in the gutter. Right. And me going, yeah, whatever, doing some shoot and mama bullshit on top of it. That's that's what people look for. That's what makes it the toys. And that all that screamy shit and all that shreddy with me going over the just where it sounds like, you know, fucking uh you know, pissed off rats fighting in the hallway. <laughs> that's you know, guitar vocal battle, that's that's the toys. Yeah. Well, that's what we grew to know with it. So, in my opinion, and Scott agrees, that's kind of what we kind of have to do if we want it to feel like, or even, I don't know, this sounds weird, but to look like a Dangerous Toys record. Mm -hmm. Some song titles. You want some song titles? Yeah, spill them. Pretend Pretend it's candy. Pretend it's candy. Pretend it's candy. Okay, yeah. Amongst yourselves. Yeah, I think I'm you got following you there. You got yeah. uh, here's another one. Rise and shine. All right. Rise and shine. Yep, mind in the gutter. Go there, please. Uh, let's see. <laughs> uh, uh, here's another one. Uh, brass knuckle. Okay. That sounds like a toy song, doesn't it? It does. Yeah. Uh, let's see. Um, Hold Your Horses, which you can hear us play live on the good old YouTubers. Okay. Hold Your Horses. Yeah. Uh, I'll give you one more. Uh, oh, shit. Because, you know, I don't sit around and read the names of the songs all the time. You don't even know the songs. <laughs> Let me open this shit up. Let me open the scrolls of knowledge. Uh, yeah, pretend it's candy. We're gonna do an old one that we wrote that never made it on Hellacious called Texas Sun. Okay, so <clears throat> so an old one. Uh, yeah, we're gonna revamp one. Uh, Hangman Boogie. Hangman Boogie. That's a new one. Um. 
there's baby bird brass knuckle hangman boogie oh here's one more for you and then we'll we'll call this quits all hat no cattle all hat no cattle yeah you want to know what that's about i do all hat no cattle what's that about you don't you don't know you never heard that before probably because you're not well i'm not from texas yeah i'm not a cowboy so (laughs) imagine this so you know you got this you know what a poser is right yeah okay think about it again all hat no cattle oh you a cowboy oh you got the truck you got a hat I don't see any mud on those tires. I don't see any fucking cow shit on your toes. So it'd be kind of like if I put a cowboy hat on. You're all hat, no cattle. Yeah. yeah. I'm going to use that, Nick. Kind of talking shit. You know, it's like you're all, you're all barking. You're all that, that kind of thing. I got you. Right. actually made, made popular in Texas by, uh, oh, what was her name, man? She was, she, she was, uh, a politician in Texas. She's dead now. I can't think of her name right now. My mom would, my mom's rolling over in her grave right now that I can't remember her name right now. Anyway, she said it in one of her campaigns about her, her opponents. All hat, no cattle. They're all hat, no cattle. You need to vote for me. That kind of shit. (laughs) Is is that that how the ads go out there? Very, very dangerous toy. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, and then you have a Monsters of Rock cruise coming up, correct? Is that no. right? No. 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 I just saw something online today. No. What happened? No. Yeah, we we were asked to play with our idols. Uh, Rose Tattoo was going to be on it. I worship Rose Tattoo. Uh, I would, you know, give blood to play a gig with Rose Tattoo. And uh, because of COVID, we canceled. Yeah. Okay. They, it's not on a it's not on a boat anymore. It's in the Dominican Republic, which is a hot spot for COVID. Oh, jeez. Yeah. Um, cancel that at one. At a hotel, it's at a hotel, like a like a casino type of vibe. Sounds dirty to me, bro. So it's not even and a cruise. We, we talk, It's not even a cruise. No. Oh. So so it would cost me mo money to get there. You know, the cruises, the band has to pay their own way until they get on the boat. Oh, I well, did I'm not in, know yeah, that. I'm in, I'm in Texas. No, they're not buying me plane fares and hotel room the night before I get on the boat. Right. So it costs you money, and then you take it off the top after you get paid. You know? Right. Huh. So it just turned into like, what? You know, he goes, and the promoter was like, man, I, you know, I'll, I'll throw you some extra bones and that. And I was like, man, it's still not worth it. Right. Huh. Oh, well. To 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 bring that shit home to our families, to the, you know, am I being a chicken shit or am I just being precaution and, and doing the work like America should? Yeah, no, it's understandable. Yeah, I think so too. Yeah, and I'm not trying to, you know, I'm not trying to be a hero or a martyr or anything and try to save rock and roll. Rock and roll is in my soul. Everybody knows that. I'm not. I'm yeah. Not, I'm not going out there going, look at me. I'm on tour like everybody else. Yeah. No, you'll get your chance to get back out there. Well, it's kind of what 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 I do. Mm-hmm. So I don't really tour anymore. I'd rather be comfortable and play uh, quality instead of quantity. Sure. Well, cool. All right, Jason. Well, listen. Uh, we're going to be getting two hour going. Interview two hours later. 
I know that was a long one, right? I think this is the longest one, isn't it, Joe? I think you set a record. That might deserve well, a patch. I'll be, I'll be bitching about this later, you know. <laughs> well, I'll be bitching about it in about four hours when I get up to go to work. But yeah, yeah. Well, there's <laughs> I might, that. I might send you a bad text or something, but. <laughs> well, you know, try to refrain. <laughs> I'm kidding. It was great to have you on, and I'm glad you took the time to talk to us. Yeah, thanks for coming on the show, Jason. Yeah, of course, bro. And both of you guys, thank you for listening to me ramble. Uh, there's a lot of stories, and, um, you know, uh, it feels good to talk about them. It's kind of therapeutic. Yeah. Sure. And it helps me put my memory in check. You know, some of the, you know, this is all truth. Uh, some of my years might be off by just a little Uh but you know it's all it's all real and it's all brushes with badass that I I am very very I consider it just lucky dog you know just lucky to just breathe the same air as some of my idols and get hit by a bus with some cool shit and turn around and be able to survive it and talk about it with people who want to hear about it. Yeah, I mean that that's awesome. And you know when that when you do finish that book. I'm going to pick up a copy of that thing. Well, I'm thanks. sure there'll be some great stories in there. Happen, so don't, don't hold your breath. Well, if you want to write a but book, I'm let trying. me know. I, mean, I, I got, I got somebody yeah. I can hook you up with. Well, good. You know, Tom, uh, Tom Hazard, who, run, you know, helps, uh, Ellison run, run his show. Uh, uh, he's, he wants to help me and there's been other people throw their hat in the ring that want to help me, but no fruit on the tree. It's, yeah. No, it, it's hadn't, and I actually started writing page one the other day. So I'm patting myself on the back to even be able to say that. <laughs> page one, that's more than my book. Does, does it just say page one? <laughs> in, 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 page, in page one is just like, born on this date in corpus. You know, it's the most mundane. It, it, you got to start somewhere, right? Yeah. But, yeah. but if I'm going to do it, and the working title is... Uh, uh, Stories of a Texas metalhead, or tales of a story, tales of a Texas metalhead. All right, not no not hat. Great. What was it? It's what was the saying? Great. No, what, all hat, no cattle. That's right. Okay, got to remember that. Yeah, well, I, I had a hat and some cattle. Yeah, talking <laughs> about my biz. Yeah, yes, you did. Yeah. All right, my friend. Well, listen, uh, Have a if, good night. if people want to get, get a hold of you, they can reach you at jasonmcmaster.net. That has all your information on there, I believe, correct? Um, yeah, but you don't, you don't want to use that e- the email with that. And, and uh, the, you know, the website is not necessarily updated. Yeah. Uh, but it's a cool website. It's just not very up to date. There are a couple of things on there. There's some links to some Igniter videos, I think. There yeah, might be there some is. Evil United mm-hmm. stuff on there. Uh, there's not really anything Howling Sycamore other than maybe a mention here and there. Right. Um, but a lot of that stuff is on Bandcamp. It's on YouTube. It's all it's all over. Any band, you know, Howling Sycamore, Evil United, Igniter, Dangerous Toys, Broken Teeth, uh, Jesus, whatever else. It's all everywhere. People just have to, to search start. for it. Start digging the rabbit hole and it will find you. Yeah. Awesome. All right, bud. Listen, you take care. You have a good night. 
Thanks, guys. And we'll Thanks, talk Jason. again. All right, man. See you later. Right. Take care. Bye-bye. Yep. That's all for this week. Join us next week for another episode of the Rock and Roll and Coffee Show podcast. Available on all your favorite podcast listening platforms.